Yo, 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 Thought Warriors. What is up? High Learning is on. It is I, Van Lathan Jr. And it's me, Rachel and Lindsay. Rachel, I just canceled my trip and got a Delta E credit. Did you want a congratulations? Yep. Are you are you proud of yourself? Whenever I do something adult, uh, it's it's cause for celebration. I canceled my trip not when you're all 43. by myself. All not by myself. When not when you I, I I can't I can't condone this. I'm sorry. Because I'm sorry. you're a negative person. But no, that's okay. Because no, because you should be doing better. At 43, somebody who flies quite often, I might add, this should be a norm for you. I fly a lot, but I never have to make the arrangements. So I have it's to go sp- now. I have to, leave, nice. I, I have to leave Baton Rouge now and go to New York City. Okay. And then I'll come back to L.A. Right. Okay. But the original trip that I had made was LA, Louisiana, Louisiana back. But then I had to go to New York unexpectedly. And I was able to effectively cancel my trip back from New Orleans to LAX while the company booked me going out to New York. Yeah, this is slight work. I took care of it. Well, I mean, slight look, work. I, see, I mean, good, good. I hope you did. Now I'm concerned whether you did it right. I did. Well, now you just made me concerned. Let's look at the email. No, let's not look at it. It but, says, but I'm oh, do oh, this I got often. a Delta E credit. Oh, my God. You know, you already told us that, right? Yes, yeah, okay? very true. Yeah, I'm good. You okay? I'm good. Where I'm doing you? well. That's I'm in Baton Rouge right now. I'm in, uh, I'm in the Crown Plaza hotel here in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. You know how I feel about telling people where you are. <laughs> I, I'm in what city, not your exact location. <laughs> yeah. I'm right here. I can look across right there. I see people zooming around on so the we, 10 we, we freeway. Switch, we switched places. How, how, how was it? How was Thanksgiving? How was going to the game? I saw your seat. You had great seats. Well, Thanksgiving was spent in Los Angeles. Okay. And it was fantastic. One of the best times I've had in Thanksgiving for a very long time. It was really wow. great. Let me tell you guys something about found family, about people that you can connect with and feel instantly comfortable with and have an amazing time with. Um, it's good to have that. It's good to have that. Rachel, I, uh, you're that, you know. I, it didn't need to be said, but I appreciate that. I, I already knew. I, your, I ener- your energy is so chaotic this morning. No, it's not. It, no, it, it, like, I, as you were saying, no, 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 this is positive. As you were saying it, I was thinking that's that's what I have with Van and yeah. Kalika. So yeah. I, I know I'm I'm smiling because I'm like, yeah, I feel you on that. That's beautiful. I'm so glad you had a good Thanksgiving. And then uh, the day after flew into Baton Rouge, hung out. Then Saturday was the LSU game, all the festivities. Mm-hmm. Uh, yesterday was watching this Christmas and almost Christmas back to back with okay. Mama Momo Ebony. Oh. Um, yeah, and so we watched them back to back. I have thoughts about that. Um, and then today doing stuff tomorrow to New York, then later on in the week back to LA. You have thoughts about that? You know, I've never seen either one. 
But I do have a question about one of them. And we can save it to when you want to talk about it. Well, before we got to get into what you did for Thanksgiving and then. Uh, I, yeah, I had mm-hmm. a very, very, probably the most chill ever Thanksgiving I've had because normally I either go home, like last year I was in Houston with my family, or I will do Thanksgiving here and I do it for people who don't have anywhere else to go, like who couldn't make it home. So a couple of years ago, I had a Thanksgiving for people who like couldn't make it home. So it's like, oh, just come over here and, you know, we'll play games, watch football. So I usually do that. But this year, um, I had surgery Wednesday. And so I wanted to be super chill Thursday because I just didn't know like how I would be. And it was just like a day surgery. Mm-hmm. Um, how you feeling? And then I feel great. Thank you for asking. And so we went and we packed meals for project with Project Angel Food, which is a charity that I've been working with for a few years now in L.A. And that was fun. And um, then I cooked. Right. And we had a very non-traditional Thanksgiving meal, which I pork pork based Thanksgiving. I did. I did. And here's my thing. Since when do we like have to have certain things? Not since when. I guess this has always been the case. But nothing that I had on my table was traditional. Nothing. And I was pleased with that. We had right. steak. We had pork chops. I made these Greek style potatoes that I really love. And Brian loves them too. We had broccoli. We had Brussels sprouts. There was a rice. And um, what, oh, and I, I sauteed some like um, cremony mushrooms. Mm. Actually, I had the- more than sauteed. But yes, that. So there's really, there are only a couple, I feel like, traditional Thanksgiving foods that everyone eats. You know, it's got the turkey, you got all that stuff. But then every other culture, like, mixes it up. I saw this video on the old internets of an Italian family, and they looked like they had the best fucking Thanksgiving I've ever seen before in my life. Mm -hmm. They have foods everywhere, all kinds of different stuff. And if, you know, you come down here, there's a gumbo on Thanksgiving. There's a jambalaya on Thanksgiving. There's all different right. foods that we eat. You make them in larger quantities on Thanksgiving. I don't think that it's necessary on the holiday which celebrates the slaughters of indigenous people to commemorate that by eating the foods that come directly from that. If the holiday, mm. which all the Thanksgiving shamers out there, we're aware of the origins of the holiday, but the holiday is now become a de facto family reunion for so many people. So whatever you eat in your family, eat on Thanksgiving. As a matter of fact, Rachel, I think that you're being rebellious and radical by not (laughs) eating the foods that are are connected to the putrid culture and bringing your own pork-based diet to Thanksgiving. (laughs) Thank you. I love your outlook on that. And we did. That pork Mm. chop was, you know, I had perfected the pork chop. I bet you have. I bet you have perfected big hunk of pig. Look, uh, uh, so I watched this Christmas and almost Christmas back to back. Okay, this Christmas, of course, you guys know the movie Idris Elba, Chris Brown, Columbia Short. You know, different people in this Christmas. Great, Lauren London in this Christmas. Great, different than almost Christmas. When you watch them back to back, 
it's obvious that Almost Christmas is superior to This Christmas. Which came first? This Christmas came first. Almost Christmas is like 2016, so it's a little later. Almost Almost Christmas has uh, um, Jesse T. Usher, Danny Glover, Monique, uh, Gabrielle Union, J.B. Smoove, Carrie Hilson. Oh. You know, it, it's got a, a Romany Malco. Like, it's got a cast, and it's it's a funny, more straight. DC Young flies in it. Yeah, it's it sounds a, like a funnier version. It's a funnier, a little bit lighter, a little bit more sugary, straightforward Christmas. I would say this Christmas is a little bit more akin to soul food, as in it's a it's got a, oh, probably a little bit. This it's got a little bit more substance to it for sure. But almost Christmas is a more enjoyable Christmas watch. It's a funnier, more grabbable. Me and the family, as we sat around, we had more fun watching Almost Christmas. Almost Christmas is more fun. It's better. Omar Epson's in it. It's better mm. than this Christmas to me. And I stand oh. on that. I stand on Almost Christmas being better than this Christmas. I stand on it. I mean, you kind of sold it. I mean, what? why do I even need to see this Christmas at this point? You, you made me not, you really didn't even give an argument towards this Christmas. You gave it a little love, but you went all in on almost Christmas. That I, I'll, I will watch almost Christmas. Now, here's my question. This Christmas, obviously very popular song, specifically in the black community, Christmas song. Mm -hmm. Who has the best version to you? There's so many people have sang the song. And the only reason I'm asking that is because Chris Brown sings a version of it in mm -hmm. this Christmas. Mm-hmm. I don't like it at all. Mm. Mm. At all. It gets a lot of play on the radio and there's so many better versions to me. All right. I mean, best Donnie version Hath to you? Donnie Donny Hathaway. Hathaway. <laughs> I guess I, yeah. I should say if you can't pick a Donnie outside of Donnie Hathaway, which is yeah, outside of Donnie Hathaway. Oh, um, you know what? Out, you, outside of Donnie Hathaway, I don't really know that many versions that stick out to me. I would love to give you one. Okay, and give it to me. This goes back to another controversial take that I had. Mm -hmm. Drew Hill has oh. a fantastic <laughs> version of this I've heard Christmas. Donnie, Ashley, have you I've heard, heard it? Do I've you agree? Yeah, it is yeah. fantastic. Yeah, okay. I don't know if I've heard yeah. it. I'm about to pull I, I, it up I've now. I've heard it. Rachel, You've heard it? Rachel, yeah, I've heard that You one. don't like I it? I've heard that one. It's it, it way not, better it, than Chris it Brown's. Even, it blows Chris Brown's version out of the water. And this Christmas will be very special Christmas for me. Yeah. It, it, like, I've heard that. Rachel, like, yeah. I mean, outside Ashley? of Donnie Hathaway, yeah. But the, it's not even, come on, man. That doesn't even no, come. I, d d it's, it's not even fair to compare any other version to Donny Hathaway, and I should have taken mm -hmm. him out. Shouldn't even. That's why I said outside of Donny Hathaway, who has the next best version of this Christmas? Mm. It's, it's Drew Hill. You think it's Drew Hill? Ashley, you like the Drew Hill version? It's good. Mm. <laughs> I don't know if I have a favorite. Name a better. Though. Name a Name better, a better version. Yeah. Court Queen. <laughs> like, name, like, name a better version of of the song. 
I don't think I can. I don't think I know a better version. So maybe it is a better, the best. Maybe I'm is. trying to look mm. up all the people that have. Covered. I'm gonna go with the whispers. Yeah, Donnie, the whispers. did you listen to it or did you just? <laughs> the you just, You're just saying that. Did you listen to the no, whispers it version? Is, it's the one where we're caroling through the night. Oh, Jesus Christ! You know what I'm oh talking about. God. Everybody sounds like that. Oh Lord, have mercy, Donnie. <laughs> my God. Oh my God. <laughs> I'm telling you. See, Donnie, when you put yourself out there and you sing on the podcast, the returns, it, it, it's a, it can go left. See what I'm saying? That's what people, Donnie now feels it. Donnie actually sang on the podcast. We got to get on into the show. Uh, I will say this. I, uh, we got some, some uh, it, it, it incredibly um, uh, light topics, and we also have some heavier topics to discuss. Um, before we get into the topics, we're talking about, you know, things that are going on in the Middle East, everything that's happening here. I saw recently just now that a man has been arrested for shooting uh, three um, uh, Muslim Americans uh, as the hate ratchets up. We're going to talk a little bit more about some of the Islamophobia that you've been seeing uh, rear its ugly head by and coming from some prominent places, you know, in our country where people, I should say, had prominent posts. Uh, with our country. We're talking about a gentleman in New York and some of the things that went on. Um, and we realized that the Islamophobia is running rampant since the uh, war in Gaza, since the October 7th attacks. And that's been a thing. I also want to point something else out that I think, for whatever reason, is um, not being discussed as robust as it should be. All right. Uh, and I just want to make sure that everyone understands where I'm coming from on this and historically and in the contemporary sense, the stakes and, and, and how things are going. Um, in my criticism as Israel, of Israel as a state actor, as a state actor, as a, con as a country with laws, with uh, a geopolitical worldview, with a very specific history and with I feel like um, is a responsibility to a certain type of action, a certain type of society, um, a certain type of justice and, and, you know, being an engine and an instrument of those justices. I feel all government should be. I want to make sure that people understand that the criticism of Israel as a state actor, and I hope that people that hear this that are Jewish would uh, would hear it in the same way. It's not in any way an endorsement of anti-Semitism, of the hatred or persecution of Jewish people uh, in its contemporary form or an excuse of it historically. There is, it's unambiguous, the world's history of anti-Semitism. It's unambiguous, the dangers, the dangers of anti-Semitism. Unambiguous. There's no conversation to be had about it. There's nothing to be denied. There's nothing to be legislated. It's been one of the most disgusting forces uh, in the history of the civilized world, wherever it's been. Some of the most unspeakable atrocities have happened to the Jewish diaspora throughout time. Um, wherever you want to go, wherever you want to talk about, particularly in in Europe and places around there, 
places where they've been expelled, places where women have had babies ripped out of them, uh, all of the things that you hear. And that's not anybody's conspiracy theory. That's not anybody's uh, uh, deep, dark, shady room control. It's none of that. That's not anybody's big lie. That's not anybody's grand scheme. That's historical fact. So when we are discussing this, and I would tell this to everyone, and you're DMing me, and you're sending me things, watch yourself. Seriously. Like, watch yourself. Because the life that I've lived, the place that I'm at right now here in Baton Rouge, is a place where I've lived the life of people in proximity to people who don't get justice. People who die in weird ways, people who are addicted to drugs, uh, people who are preyed upon by the police, people who have been persecuted. And that life, that experience makes me want justice and safety for everyone. Justice safe, and safety for everyone. And that's my North Star. So when I see that somewhere and people aren't getting that, I feel a way. And I always will. It's part of my response to that, to, to my own trauma is recognizing it in somebody else. And when there is a group of people that's experiencing that now, I feel for them. And when there's a group of people who've experienced that historically, and when I see their trauma and I can link to it, I feel that as well. So when you're, when you're contacting me and telling me stuff and talking to me about things, remember, I consider the history of anti-Jewishness, of anti-Semitism, and what that's mean for people, meant for people. I consider that history. I think about that history. I'm aware of that history, and I want people to feel safe, and I want people to feel full, and I want people to feel powerful in their culture, whatever that culture might be. So miss me with it. Absolutely 100%. Miss me with it. Now, when we're talking about geopolitics and justice, Things are what they are. There's truth and there's lies. We're going to talk about that. We're going to do it courageously. And we're going to do it with our full, full voice. Grounded in what we think this world should look like. But we're not going to do that at the expense of any group. And we're going to be sensitive and we're going to be thoughtful about the way that we talk. So don't think that it's something that it's not. All right. I have to say that because I have gotten a couple of troubling messages from people who I think have it fucked up. Just in that way. Recently? All right, Rach. <laughs> yeah. Because remember well, when we were first talking about it and I was like, I'm getting flooded with it. And you were like, oh, no one's really said anything. And I was like, huh, that's well, odd. Yeah, I think that there has perhaps been um, I think as things progress, there is a chance that, and it's delicate, right? And it's, it's important to discuss it because on the one hand, you don't want your anti-Israelness or, um, your, put it to you like this, you don't want your criticisms of the Israeli government to be perceived right. as anti-Semitism. Right, right? Of course. And you have to have that conversation 
with some of your Jewish friends who might see it that way. Okay. So on the one hand, you have to be able to have that conversation. But at the same time, you don't want on the other side of it, your criticisms of the Israeli government to be received as anti-Semitism by someone who is an actual anti-Semite. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you want to make sure yeah. that on both sides, you're crystal clear about what it is that we're talking about. Right. And it's just very, very important. It's very important, particularly now, that bad actors on both sides of this don't think that they've drafted you to their team. And I can tell you one thing. I am not, not, one million percent not on team anti-Semite, team big conspiracy, team marginalized, team pogrom, team Holocaust, any of that stuff. None of that. And honestly, I don't know very many people who are. I don't know anyone who is. Uh, but stay away from me if you are. All right, let's get to the big deal of the day. Allegations, allegations, allegations. Okay, let's get to it. Let's get to it. Okay? I haven't been to the Reddit. I don't know what's being said. But this is what I can say to everyone out there. A couple of weeks ago on the podcast, in some kind of way, mine and I even been a couple of weeks. I got into a conversation or to a little, I don't know what you call it, a little soliloquy, a little monologue, a little whatever, where I was talking about what a good guy I thought Marcellus Wiley was. That happened here on the podcast. I've known Marcellus Wiley for about 10 years now. And I know him because I covered him a couple of times at TMZ, reached out. And since I've known him, he's been a really good friend. Uh, a really swell guy, and I said as much on the podcast. I, I want people to understand something. And it's very important to understand. All right? I talked about here on the podcast how me and Marcellus don't agree uh, about things politically, but um, I still consider him to be a good guy. Right? Obviously, everyone knows now that with the latest... Uh, batch of allegations and lawsuits that came out under New York's Adult Survivors Act, which expired this past Friday, that his name, uh, as well as Jimmy Fox, who have also said on the podcast was a great guy. Um, Harf Pierre, um, who was a former president of Bad Boy, uh, New York government, Andrew Cuomo, uh, New York mayor, Eric Adams, Axel Rose, Russell Brand, Jimmy Iovine, some of those are older, L.A. Reid, Cuba Gooding Jr. But last week, there were fl- fresh allegations against Puffy, and then Jamie, and then Axel Rose, and Jimmy Iovine, and in there was also Marcellus Wiley. I'm going to be completely honest about something. And this is the way that I look at things. And this is probably fucked up. But the way I look at things is through a complete intellectual reading of whatever's in front of me. The presumption of innocence exists for a very good reason as it is codified into law, right? It exists for a very good reason as it is codified into law. Because a system where you're presumed guilty 
to me is inherently suppressing to freedom, having to prove um, your innocence to 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 get out of something. It's like it, it it it's like that in a couple of different places. It's, it's you're living in a more free society if your innocence is presumed as it uh as it relates to your guilt. That presumption of innocence is simply not something that's owed to people in like an everyday situation. It's not. You can look at a situation and then make the determination about whether or not you think someone did something or not, and that's completely okay. Like, if Rachel tells me right now that she went to a restaurant and somebody in the restaurant called her a nigger, I'm going to believe Rachel. I'm not going to presume that they didn't do what they what she said that they did until I have evidence that they did it. I know Rachel. I've been around Rachel. I've been cool with Rachel. I've been friends with Rachel. I'm going to believe Rachel, right? When allegations are made in this way against people, I tend to believe them. That's just a fact. I tend to believe them. Like, I tend to believe them. I right now am in, just to be completely transparent with you guys, I am in a fucked up position, mentally and spiritually, with the amount of this shit that is swirling around people who I know and have known. It is difficult. It is absolutely difficult. It is hard. I haven't spoken to Cell. I haven't reached out. It's not like he's my best friend and we talk all the time and I'm not trying to downplay our relationship. But I'm trying to tell you is that is that is a guy that for whatever reason that because I, that I have admired and thought that he was a good man for the amount of time that I've known him. Puff was a guy that I've worked with in the past who has been good to me that I have known, right? Jamie Foxx is a guy. See around town. Good, good fucking reputation. Everybody talks about how nice of a guy he is. Other people that have been involved in this, like there is an awakening happening of a a thing being sparked in my mind as it relates to people I know, particularly men that I know, that is incredibly difficult to come to terms with in this way. And that's not me saying that any of these allegations against any of them are true. But that is me saying that with who I am and what I believe and how I look at the world and what's happening, this is fucking sad, hurtful, confusing, and painful in a real way, not in a way in terms of whatever. And I'm not comparing what I'm going through to what any of the victims are going through. I'm just saying when you guys are waiting to see, oh my God, what is Van going to say or what is this person going to say? Sometimes, do you you know what I want to say? I just want to say, yo, man, who hasn't raped? Like, who hasn't assaulted? Like, who hasn't, like, sometimes you want to take... Because that's what it seems like because so many people, that's what you're saying. Sometimes, sometimes you want to, like, I want to fucking put everybody through a background check before you're in the picture with them before you sign a contract with them, before whatever. You just want to be around people that are not 
fucking swept up in this shit. You want to be around people that don't have any fucking connection, any smut on their name as it relates to this. And, yeah. you know, it, and it's like, like, what the fuck do you do? Like, it, I mean, the, the reality is hundreds of people, uh, there was a big batch of things that came out, hundreds of people, names were out, you know, obviously the, the celebrities and stuff didn't make the news, but there seems to be something pervasive, consistent, um, and just so pernicious in our culture that it seems inescapable well, in a very direct way. First off, I think that what you're saying is is very real and it's honest. I don't think anybody can fault you for that because when you're put in a situation where it's one thing to look at it objectively, where you have no connection to someone and, you know, like you said, and we've been very consistent with that on this podcast. When someone makes an outcry, we believe them. But then it gets muddied when you know the person who has made the accusation has been made against because you know them to be one way. Doesn't mean that you've known them for every single moment of their life. You don't know what they do behind closed doors. You don't know how they are. So it's hard to speak of somebody as a whole. Even Van, you don't know, like, you you know me, but you don't know what I do behind closed doors. Like it, you know, you just never know somebody completely. And I think that that's something that's hard to grasp, and it's and it's hard, and you wrestle with it. And I think that anybody listening can completely understand that. So you're, and like I'm, I'm friends. I'm cool with Marcellus. I'm friends with his wife. So you know, like it's a it's a really difficult situation. And like, I was shocked when I heard the allegations and it doesn't line up with the family that I know, you know, it just, it, it just doesn't. I mean, but um, you weren't around the, you weren't around in, in 1994. And l- let me tell that's you. That's what I'm let, saying. You don't know yeah. a whole person. And, like and let, me, and let me tell you guys something, by the way. What's happening is necessary. So I, I'll just be honest with you. I've heard. Uh, I've heard a lot of people talk about the timing of things. Like how long you wait before something like this has to happen, right? Before uh, something like this can come out. Um, These allegations are so old. These allegations are from a time before. These allegations are this. These allegations are that. I've heard that before, right? Um. As if there is an expiration date on somebody's trauma, somebody's victimization, or somebody's pain. Can I say something to that? What? The law has told you that there is. And that's that's why we're here. And I don't mean to cut you off, but I just have to point that out. There shouldn't be. And if you know anything of talking to survivors people that have been uh, are victims of sexual assault, it takes time for people, years, to go through a thought process. A lot of times people blame themselves and think that they were responsible for what happened and it takes time, therapy, whatever it, whatever it may be, to, to get to a point where you realize it's not your fault what happened to you. But the law, with the statute of limitations, has told you that there is an expiration date on your trauma. And that's why you have 
the Adult Survivors Act. That's why previously you had the Child Victims Act, which had 10,000 lawsuits that were filed because the law does not match with the understanding of sexual assault. And what you're seeing right now is another movement. It is a reckoning of for sexual assault of survivors where society told you to look at it a certain way. The law monitors it in a certain way. And now we have a totally different understanding and rightfully so of what it is to be a sexual assault survivor, to be a victim of that. Um, I hate to use the word victim, but to be a survivor of that and to seek justice for those people who are still dealing with the aftermath of what happened to them. For when a society told them that they just need to get over it or made excuses for the people who, uh, are being accused of these allegations. Hmm. So I'm not, you're the legal eagle here, but I've always understood a statute of limitations to operate in terms of when an investigation into something uh, was still possible. Like, obviously there's going to be a statute of limitations on some crimes because after a certain amount of time, you're just not going to have what you need to go back and, properly investigate the, the crime or whatever. But then you ask, well, if that's the case, there's no statute of limitations when it, when dealing with, with murder. So if there's no statute of limitations with dealing with murder, which is the physical taking of somebody's life, um, then why would there be a statute of limitations when dealing with sexual assault, which in many ways is the spiritual and psychological taking of someone's life, something that they never get over. A part of them, if you talk to survivors, they say that it either dies or they spend the rest of their life trying to get it back. Is Do these statute of limitations exist because um, it's hard to investigate these crimes after a number of years? Or do they exist because as a society, we were making a legal determination um, on capital crimes saying that, that sexual assault and, and and rape are less important or less bad or not as bad, should I say, as murder? Well, I believe it is the latter. Mm. And, I, I, and, and I think it's the way, as I just said, the way society views sexual assault. And I think it's because it, and obviously men are sexually assaulted too, but I just think that majority, Pardon. it's women. And I think it, it goes to the way that women are viewed in society. Because under the Child's Victim Act is where Victims Act is where you saw a lot of the the people filing lawsuits were against the church. Yeah, that's where a lot of it came out. And so I just think it's the way. Like, think about it. If you read some of these cases, right, and you get into details, we're talking about um, Marcellus. We just talked about him. If you get it, if you read that that lawsuit that's filed, and you read that complaint, and you read the way. You know, just and I'm just taking it at face value. If you read it and you see all the ways in which that plaintiff has tried, according to her complaint, to um, make an outcry and was constantly told by institutions, uh, they minimized what happened to her, allegedly what happened to her, or it was just a system of, well, we believe this about this person. So you know, we value him higher than we value you. So we're not going to pay attention to what you said. And I think that that's something to, to, to realize too, with the Adult Survivors Act, what's getting attention are the celebrities that have 
have had lawsuits filed against them. But majority of these cases have been filed against correctional departments, hospitals, institutions to show that this is um, an institutionalized issue of a systemic issue, I should say, of how big organizations, departments deal with sexual assault. It is very prevalent in our society that survivors do not matter. And so a lot of the people who are making these allegations are making it against employees of employers where these employers ignored them. Columbia University is also under a lawsuit uh, for a doctor that they employed that was assaulting people that went that went to him. I think he's actually been criminally charged as well. But um, yeah, it's a bigger issue. It's a it's a nationwide issue. It's not just these celebrities who are being attacked. Majority of it are employers Hmm. because of their employees. So in most of these cases, uh, particularly in Marcellus Wiley's case and Wiley's case, uh, Marcellus didn't back down one bit. He went to his YouTube and he posted a video where he told his side of the story his recollection and purview of the events um, and maintained his 100% innocence. Okay, 100% innocence. Uh, Marcellus and his wife did not uh, run and hide from this. They have continued to post, talk, discuss, and do everything in their life um, like they did before. They haven't taken a, taken a posture of guilt, taken a posture of uh, culpability in any way. They are fighting. They say that this is untrue and uh, that there's no, no merit to it. Everyone has to understand something. If we're serious and the we is this amorphous, um, formless collection of thoughts and emotions. Thank you. I'm okay. Thoughts and emotions that uh, govern societal discourse. If we're serious about excising um, and purifying some of the long-standing wounds and long-standing infections that we've dealt with culturally, then it's not going to be easy. Like, Mm -hmm. having a real conversation about sexism and where it exists, racism, where it exists, sexual abuse and assault, where it exists, uh, domestic violence, where it exists, homophobia, where, where it exists. You're just not going to be able to have that conversation without either taking, taking a look at yourself directly or taking a look at yourself tangentially or indirectly. We, we are of this culture. We are all of this culture. And to build a new one, the demolition of this one is going to be hard and it is going to be painful. But the only thing that we have to believe is that on the other side of it, something's going to be worth it. Because mm. um, I'll be honest with you. Uh, just, you know, 
thinking about what all of this means and what all of this is and the historical connotations of it and how we've protected black men from allegations that have been false and how those allegations have been weaponized against black men, particularly by white women in the past and how us doing that leads us into a realm to where it maybe silences voices that we really need to be listening to and it makes other people suffer in silence potentially. It's just a great big question, but it's not going anywhere. And it's going to take a tremendous amount of courage on everybody's part, on everyone's part uh, to, to, to deal with it. But I'll just mm-hmm. be honest with you guys. I don't know what to do. I don't. There's nothing that we talked about this the last time. There's nothing that gets you to the end of this where you go, okay, I feel comfortable being this way. I feel comfortable being that way. I feel comfortable being around this person. I feel comfortable being around that person. I feel comfortable. Say, there's, just, there's nothing. You just, you don't know. You never know. And there's no way to know. Well, but when I was. Oh, sorry, sorry. No, that's it. Well, we're always going to be uncomfortable when it involves somebody that you know on either side of it. But what I'm also uncomfortable with are the fact that so many women and men, because let's not, let's not not include the men. So many people who have been sexually assaulted have felt silenced and felt like that they, nobody cared about what happened to them because that's what the law and society seems to tell you. So that makes me very uncomfortable as well. And so, you know, what to do about this? I mean, I'm going to continue to believe outcries when they're made because I don't know how to do it. I don't know how to do it any other way. And at the same time, I think that what has happened with the Adult Survivors Act, which when it initially went into, uh, was signed into law in New York last year, there were a lot of cases that were filed then, most famously uh, the, against Trump. With, um, excuse me, I can't think of her name, but the lady, um, Eugene Carroll. Yes, who uh, is won actually by jury trial said that, um, that, uh, Trump had assaulted her in a department store. Mike Tyson was under there, um, uh, was accused under the act as well. Several people were. And towards the end, which usually what happens in a, when a law like this is enacted, you get a lot of cases at the beginning and then you get a lot of, um, lawsuits filed at the end. You're going to see, like, with what has happened and the conversation around it, I think people are upset and are looking at sexual assault in a completely different way, particularly those who haven't experienced sexual assault before. And there's already legislation around the Child's Victim Act to extend that for that, because that's not open anymore. And I think we'll see that as well with the Adult Survivors Act, that there shouldn't be a statute of limitations where they should extend um, the ASA longer than the year that it was open because of the floodgates of lawsuits and the revelation of the way a sexual assault has been treated in this society. So I think this isn't the last conversation we're going to have about this. And I think we're going to see legislation in favor of sexual assault victims um, in order for them to seek justice. Tiana Taylor, Iman Shumpert. You want to get into the gender wars? We're about to do it. We have to. This this is this is a literal. This is the legal gender war. Why though? I don't think that this is as gender warry as you think that it is. Okay, 
The reason I say it's a gender war because it brings up the conversation of what is a man supposed to pay for when I saw the social media discourse and what is a woman supposed to handle in the relationship? A lot of people were upset at something. And let me just say this as well. Tiana Taylor asked us to stay out of her business and not talk about this. And yet here we are. She said, please. She said, if you love your nieces, talking about her kids, then please don't talk about this and leave my family alone. It should be noted that when Tiana Taylor filed for separation, divorce, she did it back in January of this year and she did it under the initials of of herself and Iman. She did not want this to be public. Now, from what I'm reading, when Iman either filed a response or filed his own pleadings, um, he used their full names and that's how it came to light. So she did not want this to be public. She wanted to keep this as private as possible. Uh, she didn't even recognize the fact that they were separated until like July, September, something like that. All right. Just want to give out that disclaimer because she asked us not to talk about this. Well, uh, hold on. Hold on. Hold on for a second. I want to I want to say something about that real quick. OK, a couple of things. I have a lot of respect. Oh, I love for Tiana Taylor. Who I don't know very well, who I've met on several occasions. Iman Shumper, who I don't know very well, who I've met on several, se- several occasions. Here's the thing, and here's the problem with that. All right. There's no problem with wanting privacy. Of course you want privacy, right? Uh, the problem is you can't, this is, hold on, we go ahead and do it. TMZ brain, van, TMZ brain, van, TMZ brain, yeah, van. There. Okay, let's <laughs> do it. The problem is if your relationship is part of your brand when it's going good, your relationship is going to be a part of your brand when it's going poorly. Dims the rules. Okay? Wow. You can't you can't be a basketball player when you're scoring 40 points a game and damn, I'm just a human being when you go two for 17. Like, if your relationship is a part of the brand, if you've done a reality show where you have your family out there, look, there are a lot of people who don't do this, right? There are a lot of people who we dig into their personal life when they don't really put their personal life on front street. But you still say that's okay because they're public figures. No, I don't. I go based upon what you give me. I, if you, if, if you don't put your, if, if you don't give me something, then that was, this was my whole problem at TMZ. People would be like, oh, this person is a, is a celebrity. So any story that we do on them is okay. Like any story that we do on them is completely okay because they're a celebrity. And I'm like, ah, nah, not necessarily, right? But if your brand is the happy family and we have the family brand, you are generating interest, generating interest for who you are and your career based off this. So the counter to that is people are going to be interested in that, whether it's going well, or whether it's going poorly. And that's just a fact. Like, it's, it's like, it's like, I'm not saying you gotta be in everybody's business. That's why people, some people keep their shit private. Like right now, if say Kendrick Lamar, if his relationship, uh, uh, and God forbid that it doesn't, but if Kendrick Lamar, if his relationship ended right now, there would be people that would still be interested in it. I, for one, would think that that is an invasion of privacy because he makes his relationship private. But like asking people to not care now just because things are have gone bad, it's hypocritical. 
So I, I keep my relationship private. Mm-hmm. If God forbid something happens to us, would you feel like the public is deserving to know? Yeah. Why? There's no way that your relationship could ever be private. Why? You got, <laughs> you met him on a television show. I met him like, on a television it, show, but everything that happened mm, after that was very private. Nah, nah, nah. It's, it's, it's done. Okay, it fine. Whatever. Whatever. <laughs> Anyways, back to Tiana Taylor and Iman. <laughs> Iman. The reason I say it's gender wars is because some of the the, the allegations that were made in um, Tiana's filing about the nature of their relationship, a lot of people took issue to it. Or there was a back and forth, I should say, in regards to how they divvied up responsibilities and finances. And so that's why I say Go to your question. The, 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 the divorce papers came out. By the way, mm-hmm. these are public. They were filed in Georgia in yes. a state where the divorce papers are pu- public. They're a matter of public record. And in these papers, there was a lot of stuff that that was alleged. It was alleged that from Tiana's side that um, Iman was controlling, abusive. He was jealous of her fame. He was jealous of the fact that uh, when they would go to red carpets, people would be like, okay, now just Tiana. Um, and then they would take pictures of her by by himself. I've she said that you, she's, you, you've seen it happen. You've seen that happen. I mean, not, not his jealousy, but the fact where they're like, can you set now just Tiana, just Tiana. Right. Yeah. Um, and so all of this led to him. And according to her, being salty, pouting, trying to dim her light, trying to not allow her to shine and get hers, not wanting her to go out there and do certain stuff because he was insecure or uncomfortable about the way things were going. And despite the fact that Amon Shumpert, who's had a pretty successful career in the NBA, that he was worth way more money than her, that some people said that he made them pay for things 50-50. 50-50. Okay. He had like an eight-figure, for, for people who don't know, he had like a like a 40 million plus contract. And he made even more money than that. And he made because, more money than that, yes. Right. And she wasn't making as much money with that in music because it's harder to make $50 million in music than it is to make $50 million in the NBA. Right. Uh, if I mean, you could be... If you can get to the NBA and be a rotation player in the NBA, fucking Austin Rivers, the Lakers just gave him like $40, $50 million. million. Did they really? Yeah, they did. And I'm not saying Austin Rivers is whack. I'm just saying. No, yeah. Yeah, for a rapper to make 40 or $50 million, you gonna or, or a singer, you're going to have to have probably some ex- extended success. So you think this is gender wars. I guess my question is this. All of the things that are being alleged in the divorce do make Amon Shumpert look bad. Like, she had to know that people were going to be concerned about this when they saw it. Which is why she filed it under their initials. Right. But I think he wanted people to know that she was saying all this because he doesn't think that uh, things absolutely went that way. Well, that's a ridiculous Um, play. If you're Iman, why would you want any of this to come public? Because she also accused him of infidelity. Because mm-hmm. publicly, she has not talked bad about him. She's asked people right. to leave her alone. And she said that she actually said their relationship had nothing to do with infidelity. But the court papers suggest something different. Not suggest, they say it. They say they allege that 
he was unfaithful a number of times, that he wrecked her Rolls Royce when he was drunk. And this is the second time that he's uh, been driving under the influence. So it, if, if you're Iman, there's no way you wanted to, like, you don't come across well at all by making mm-hmm. this public. This isn't like a tit for tat. These are strong allegations that do not make you look good at all. And a lot of people really like Tiana Taylor. So a lot of people really know, liked them as a couple. Yeah. They, they, they really were liked them as a couple a, and they really like her. Of course. She's very likable. Um, let me ask you this. The the 50-50 thing is, of course, what the internet stormed onto. They gender did. war. No, I know. Gender war. Gender war. <laughs> If, in fact, he was asking her to pay 50-50 for stuff when he was making so much more money than her, is that wrong? Yes. Okay, why? If you're making eight figures, and I do not know Tiana Taylor's, and she's, okay, I do not know what what kind of money Tiana Taylor makes, but I I would guess it is not anywhere near eight figures especially when they first got married. And you're the mother of his children. The fact that you are asking her two children to put down half a down payment when you have more than enough means makes no sense to me. Like I'm for 50-50 on some things, but when the disparity is that great and I'm your wife and the mother of your children, Unless we're unless we're getting like a, I don't know, like a six figure house that's more that I could afford, then there shouldn't be a fifty fifty. Like if you told me they moved into like a half a million dollar house for their income, I'm not saying that that's cheap. I'm saying based on the amount of money they make, if they're moving in a half a million dollar house and he asked her to put fifty fifty on the down payment, I don't see a problem with that because I feel like it's within her means. If they have a ten million dollar house, no. Hmm, no. And that's either way, if the if the roles were reversed, it's the same way. Yes. <laughs> You're lying. No, yes, no, no. The, I have to think about it. <laughs> You're definitely not. You're, that's definitely not. <laughs> if the roles were reversed, would if it be 50-50? If the woman is making it, if the woman's making it, and the man... You're definitely lying. Well, the reason is because I can't see how it's the other way around. Because I'm what bringing do you up mean? The, no, 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 because I brought up ch- having children no, as what, well. The ch- having children don't matter. That don't matter. Okay, that's not true. What you mean? How does that, how does, what does the having, the, how does having children matter in this situation? Because it impacts the woman and it also can I don't I don't think this is right, but it can also hurt her financially because you have to take time off work. You have to be you're usually the primary caretaker. So like that's like it in sets this situation. you back in, it sets you back in your career, period. Okay. So I that's so, why I pa- I'm not pausing because I really was thinking about it and I'm like, I don't know if it's the same thing. Hmm. So okay. So in this situation, w- w- like we know that there are people that help Tiana Taylor, right? Tiana Taylor's yeah, Tiana Taylor's career has gotten bigger since she's had children. That's a fact. But no, it so, has. I, right. I wouldn't say so, it's because of the children, but I'm yes. not saying it's because of the children. I'm saying that it hasn't hampered her career at all, her having children. It hasn't. As a matter of fact, 
the the disparity here is a really fascinating one for me because it's between money and fame. He might be still richer than her. He probably is, right? But she's more famous. So this is really about attention. And it's about the way that you, if we're to believe everything that's in these divorce documents, right? Um, It's really about how you feel about things. Not how things actually are. Because really, the if if we're going about things, how things actually are, then he was the, the anchor of the home and all of that stuff. But you have to, in a way, be really on the same page. Not in a way. In, a, in reality, you have to be really on the same page with your partner once fame and things like that are brought into the relationship. And they did that voluntarily. The relationship with Iman Shumpert and Tiana Taylor, the union was good for Iman Shumpert. And it was good for Tiana Taylor. Mm-hmm. They both became more famous after the relationship. For, sure. for Iman for Shumpert, he was a great defender, highly athletic player that had had a lot of success in the NBA. When he got with Tiana Taylor, he became something a little over. bit different. He crossed over. Did different. He starts his own music career and stuff like that. Oh, he did? For her, yeah, he raps. So for her, she was someone who we had all always known her, always liked her, always been into her. She's been around for a very long time, right? Yeah. Um, very long time. But as far as her being ushered into the cultural zeitgeist, the black cultural zeitgeist, part of that was because of her relationship, how beautiful her family is, and all of that stuff. So to me, you know, like, this is one of those situations where everybody got to know kind of what everything is. She was always going to be more famous than him in one specific way, right? And he was always going to be richer than her. Not always, because it can happen for her at any time, just because of the way he can make money in the NBA. And there's got to be an understanding of that. Like, mm-hmm. Sierra is more famous than Russell Wilson. Uh, maybe she's not. Um, She probably is. But he, by virtue of his NFL contract, just is just infinitely more wealthy than she is. And that's the way those industries work. The reason why I said it would be different is because I don't understand why women are so uncomfortable with addressing the fact that they have a different standard for men. Like asking, oh, if this were were different and some guy was like, it would be looked at as him living up in a woman's house when he didn't go half on it, right? Like, it, it, I don't know why it's so uncomfortable. It's I, you know, I do know why it's so uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable for women sometimes, in my opinion, to admit just how invested they are into patriarchy. It's it's well, it's, okay. It, it's difficult. I won't it's, say it, it, like, it's difficult. Some it's difficult. Just just what a job patriarchy has actually done on women okay, and how it's I changed was, their I expectations. Say, yes, yeah. just like we talk about. Earlier at the top of the show, we talked about how there are certain ideas in our society that have been prevalent for such a long time that it's hard to break that. And patriarchy is one of those things. For I mean, sure. patriarchy contributes to what we were talking about, sexual assault survivors. But yes, you know, no matter, even if you do want it to be 50-50, and I, and I believe women, when we say we want 50-50, like we want, we want to be considered equals, it's still hard sometimes to say like, 
well, you're a man. You're supposed to be doing that. That of course, I, I, I am guilty of that at times. Like, well, like you're a man. So sure. There's not, so that, but my thing is, <laughs> we move but on. I don't this think if, if this, Tiana Taylor was making $40 million and she had kids, she should not expect Iman Trump, uh, Iman to be paying for the same thing. I'm I telling you, I, 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 because it's I, so great. It's so I, great. I believe, see, the children is another part of it, right? Because the kids is like a trump card. Because it, it's like once you say, and, and she has kids and she's had his children, it's not, she didn't have her children, right? They, like, <laughs> that's another she had thing. their children. She didn't have her children. She had, and this woman had your kids. She didn't have to, not like they're her kids too. They're his kids when something like this happens. So this is what I would say. To me, like, to me, I look at this as not even being a man-woman thing. This is a Hollywood thing. Hollywood makes these relationships into something that people care about. And then Hollywood breaks these relationships. It's a celebrity thing. Like, people go through stuff in relationships and decide this isn't for me all the time. But when you're talking about things tangential to relationships, like money, like fame, like success, like all of that, those are the things that get corrosive in them. So when you invite those things into your relationship, when you make them a part of your relationship, then you are really setting yourself up, in my experience with how I've covered this, to have a lot harder of a time. A can lot I, harder of a can time. Can I just say this? If it was reversed... And Tiana had the $40 million plus contract. My question for Iman would be, what are you contributing to the relationship? And there's, that's the reason that I only bring up children because like, I'm, I'm dead ass serious. My question would be, if I'm going to pay all of this, cause, and, 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 cause I have the money and I'm not going to put you out just because I'm, I want to live a certain way because I have this money and I'm expecting you to put half of this down payment on. You have to be able to contribute in other ways to the relationship. I'm sorry. The reason I say it's a little different with man and a man and a woman, because if a woman is contributing, you want a family, you want children together, and a woman is giving you that, that's that's but do something. But do do you know how cro magnet it is, how like fucking 1850s it is. To say that a woman's contribution Let's to a relationship, it was 1950s, <laughs> to a woman's contribution to a relationship is the fact that she can give a man kids. Those no, types of, I, but, but, like I, that I, type of stuff is what was used to make women raise the no, kids and not get their PhDs and I'm shit. I'm not saying solely that. I'm saying that that is a way that she does. I'm not saying that's, I'm not saying that's the only defining thing that a, or only way a woman can contribute in the relationship, right? But I'm just saying there's a difference. But, so here's my other question. A, here's my other question. A, well, let me say real if quick. He, but, but you know that he's an involved, dedicated father. So he contributes to the relationship. Is he by being, not according it, it, to the papers? He wasn't. Not according <laughs> to the papers. And let me say, and let me and let me ask you this. Just one last okay. thing. Okay. If he well, he was the breadwinner. If he had taken care of everything, let's say they have no kids. Mm-hmm. If he had taken care of everything mm-hmm. uh, because he's the sole breadwinner and put all the money down on the house, bought the house, should he put her name on the house? Yeah. 
Okay. What? Absolutely. Like, that's the type of supervillain shit that, like, <laughs> like, I mean, yeah, without a doubt. What You can't have somebody living in a house that they don't have their name on the house. Like, that, if that would be him. If that came out, I would then be mad at him. I would be like, now, why would you? Because that looks like you're trying to hold something over somebody's head. What if it was reversed? What do you mean if it was reversed? She is the breadwinner. Mm-hmm. And she doesn't put his name on the house. Why Same would thing? she not put his name on the house? All right. I'm just, oh, I'm just oh, asking. I'm saying, like, to me, if, they, they, if they're married, he, yeah. if, they, if they're married, if they're in a situation, if they've been together for a long time, like why on God's green earth would she not put his name on the house? Why would you, at that point, like you're making the person a tenant. Yeah. You would. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? At that point, you're making them a tenant. Nah, she would have to do that. But look, um, uh, look, I, I honestly, these are two, these are two people that I always enjoyed watching together. I so know. It, it is, it is, I know. Uh, I hate it's going it down like this. Well, it, this doesn't have to be necessarily gender wars. This could be a situation where people look and go, okay, how do you negotiate your relationship and like what's important to you. This doesn't necessarily have to be gender wars. No, but you are so right about fame, ego, and insecurity. Yeah. Like that's, that is at the heart of what's happening. And and she even says insecurity. That is at the heart of what's happening at the breakdown of this relationship. Also, I'll say say one more thing. It also depends on who's trying to be in whose deal, right? If they go to an NBA event, People want to see Iman Shepard. If they go to places, Tiana Taylor is famous, but she's not. I don't know about that, actually. I'll be honest. I'm telling you, man. If they go to places that basketball fans care about, okay, that the basketball, basketball people fans. care sure, about, sure. they're going to care about the 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 ex-Cleveland Cavalier, the ex-New York Nick Iman Shepard. Really, the thing is, he was trying to be in her world. So him yeah. trying to be in her world, she ain't even got to gotta be the biggest. She ain't even got to be the biggest in her world. She just in that world. So when they come to the thing, they know that this is with Pharrell and Kanye and all of that stuff. Whatever. But I, I'm telling you right now, if they go to the fucking NBA Cares event or if they go to whatever, it's going to be on some Amon Shumper type shit. Anyway, um, there's been a... Uh, uh, a humanitarian pause in Gaza. Um, Israel and Hamas have agreed to actually extend um, their truce for an additional two days. I think the the it was initially scheduled for four days. Mm-hmm. Um, but Today was the final day. Today was the final day. It's going to go another two days. Hamas will free another 20 women and children during the pause in fighting. Um, this according to the Pentagon. Uh, this temporary ceasefire agreement has been reached by both sides to facilitate the release of dozens of people taken hostage during the Hamas uh, terrorist attack, terrorist attack of October 7th. Um, on Sunday, 17 hostages were released, including a four-year-old American exchange. Israel released 39 Palestinian prisoners. It's prisoners. It's on that side. Um, all of whom are minors, according to the Qatari government. Uh, Israel has said 
It would extend the ceasefire a day for every 10 additional hostages released. Now, um, also, Elon Musk and Starlink are going to be able to go in there in Gaza and bring some some technology back to the region. Uh, This is the result of tremendous pressure from the international community um, on Israel in particular. And tremendous pressure from within Israel Mm. from the families of the hostages who were beginning to make increasing amounts of noise about the fact that they felt like Israel was prioritizing prosecuting their war over bringing their loved loved ones home safe. Because remember, there are still lives that are in the balance here from the Israeli side, and they would say that whatever has to happen in Gaza, uh, according to Israel's worldview, should come secondary to getting those people back. Almost everybody who has looked at this situation, um, this particular humanitarian pause, has said uh, that this is not enough, that a ceasefire should be called, We're dealing with close to 5,000 dead kids. I think the numbers of the dead uh, are quickly reaching 13, 14, 15,000 in Gaza. And that what really needs to happen is a ceasefire period so that the international community, along with uh, Arab nations, the West, Israel, can decide what a lasting peace in the region looks like so that there's not this wash, rinse, repeat that happens there every now and again. Um, what's your thoughts on the pause? I, I, I guess, do you think that this is enough? The Biden administration is under a tremendous amount of yeah. pressure. Uh, what are your thoughts? Well, I mean, it's not enough, but is anything going to be enough, right? It's not enough because... There's still several hostages that are in uh, the Gaza Strip. There's still prisoners that are um, in Israel. It's not enough because Netanyahu has said once the ceasefire is over with, they will continue to resume the offense. And he said, with quote, with all of our might, once it expires. So it's not going to stop. Um, be- when this, Since the ceasefire, so... You know, as we're doing this podcast, it's day four, which Van already said that they've extended it for two days. I don't know what the um, negotiations were because I know Israel has said before they will continue to extend if they release 10, 10 hostages for one day of ext- an extension. So I don't know if they've negotiated more hostages to be released with the extension of the two days. But um I know that the United Nations has been able since the, tr- since the ceasefire to bring in more food, water, medicine, fuel, when the people in the Gaza Strip have had nothing. Um, but I also know that five days after the attack um, on October 7th, they've been trying to have, there've been proposals that have been submitted in order to release hostages. And it's been back and forth, and I'm not going to just blame it on one side, but I will say, like, initially, the first proposal that was out there was for the releasing of all women and children that were held by Hamas 
and other Palestinian militants in Gaza in return for freeing all the women and children that were in Israeli prisons. And it was it's being reported that the Israelis said no to that. And that was five days after that uh, the October 7th attack. And there's been back and forth. Um, like, obviously, they wanted to know a list of the hostages that were being released, and Hamas didn't want to provide that at first. And they've gone back and forth, and Biden has been, as you said, there's a lot of pressure that's been placed on him. And to get this to happen, the releasing of the hostages, a lot of people were upset that it took a long time for an American to be released, and there's only been one today. But I don't, I don't even remember your original question, but I don't know with the fact that Israel has said that they're going to keep going no matter what. So like this ceasefire can go on for as many days as they negotiated. But at the end of it, they're going to continue with their ultimate goal. And that is to destroy the Gaza Strip and anything in their way. What they and would say, I don't know if what they, what, what they would say, what they would say is that their ultimate goal, uh, just to make sure you don't get in no trouble. What they would say is that their ultimate goal is to destroy Hamas. Yes, by any means necessary. Am right. I? Am I? Am I? Am I getting no, that no, part wrong? No, no I'm, you're not. And again, this is not to everything that you said at the beginning. I wholeheartedly agree. I did not say that. I wholeheartedly agree with everything that you said at the beginning, and in, in regards to how they talk about it. I'm just saying, when we're talking about the ceasefire here, it is only going to be a temporary thing because Netanyahu has said they will continue until the ultimate goal is to destroy Hamas, but they will do that as we've seen with the 13,000 that have already, 13,000 plus, excuse me, that have already been killed, two thirds of that being women and children. Or excuse me, I think that's just children. Donna, can you correct that? Uh, can you make sure that I get that right? Um, by any means necessary. So it's the inevitable at this point. And I don't think that there's any type of negotiation or anything that President Biden can do to stop Netanyahu and the Israeli government from doing that. Um, so I want to make sure that we have the right numbers that are counted. It is 13,000 plus. So 13,000 plus people. Um, how many women? How many children? How many uh, children? That, Donnie's got to catch me on that. I'm seeing the New York Times is saying, they're showing a chart. They're saying as of November 22nd, it's 10,000 women and children. But then what about men? All people, it's over 14,000. Okay, cool. So let's make sure we have that right. So uh, 14,000 people dead in Gaza, uh, according to sources, and these sources are... Uh, I'm assuming the Gaza Health Ministry, um, which, you know, has been used as a credible source um, surrounding things like this in the past. But now, whenever you quote their numbers, you'll get that those are Hamas numbers and that they are not credible. Um, I believe them to be the 14,000 dead, um, nearly 10,000 women and children dead in this situation. Just an absolute horrific catastrophe. Uh, so look, in my opinion, I think a lot of what we're seeing here, um, has to do with two things that are 
linked in a very specific way. One is the very real um, historical trauma that people have gone through and what Israel means to them in terms of being a homeland where they can project strength in terms of what some would say is the direct link between uh, Judaism and the return to Israel, what that means for people. I mean, we could talk about Zionism, where it begins, Herzl, the first Aliyah, all the way up until, you know, different groups start to to uh, to come into Israel. Um, obviously, when it first, when, when Zionism was first uh, kind of um, thrust into existence, I don't know why the word escapes me, it, uh, it was typically the movement of European Jews back to the area that we now know to be Israel. Uh, but as time went on, that changed. You know, uh, now most of the people there would be considered Mizrahi, which are Jews of Middle Eastern origin um, and have all, always had some kind of tie to the land. The Jewish diaspora has always had, uh, by their own admission, some tie to the land. But as have Muslims, as have Christians, as have a lot of other groups, that's why it's so important to be able to establish a state, uh, in my opinion, there where one vote um, goes to one person and there is uh, a democracy there that is representative of all people equally. It's very important. Um, now, what I'll say about this is, getting back to my thoughts, is when this first happened, there's two things that happened. Number one, there's a power response. There's a response that power uses, right? If you are very powerful and you suffer a great tragedy, uh, it is difficult to respond to that tragedy utilizing anything other than power. Power almost necessitates the use of it, right? If you have a gun, you want to shoot somebody. Like if you're in your house, and I don't care what anybody says, I'm a gun owner. If you're in your house and you hear something, and you don't have a gun in your house, you're going out the back door. The gun is there to defend yourself. So there's a utility to the weapon. So if you hear something, and this is why you have to sometimes fight this, uh, and the gun is right there, you want to use, you want to load the gun, you want to use the gun. Not, you want to use the gun not only to protect your family, but also to let everybody else around know that, you, that these people knocked on the wrong door, that they fucked with the wrong house that that's not the right house to fuck with. So um, it was understandable that after this happened, that Israel would grab their gun. It was, that was going to happen. And, and, and almost every country in that situation was going, was going to do that. The question is, like with any situation, is how much you shoot. And who you shoot at. And it's baffling to me how the very asking of that question can be interpreted as something other than responsibility, than being a member of the international community, than being a part of the human community. That the asking of that question can be perceived as, well, you just don't want to see me grab my weapon. Nah, I just don't want to see you blow your neighbor away, right? Um, and as it relates to the hostages, 
I'm not in the Knesset. I'm not in the upper levels of the the uh, the Israeli government. But I'll be honest with you, they have not done a great job of acting like they cared that much about getting these hostages back since the beginning of this thing has happened. The Jewish people around the world have very much cared. They have very much cared. I walk around my neighborhood. I see posters. I see all kinds of things. They are very much cared. Now, look, I'm not an expert in warfare. It's possible that what they what they thought was, hey, if we do enough damage there, then that'll compel Hamas to release the hostages. That'll compel them as we've done enough. Um, but look, even as reflected by the families of the hostages that existed in Israel, it just doesn't seem that their first inclination was to do everything that they can to ensure the safe return of a lot of the Israelis, Americans, and of course, even many of the Thai prisoners that were taking, taken during this. I'm glad that people are being released and I'm glad that aid is being allowed into Gaza. I watched the, the videos of you know, people jumping on the back of trucks and getting water bottles. They hadn't had any water for a long time. It's glad to see that people have what they need for at least the time being. My question is still the same, though. My question is not a fragile piece, not a tenuous piece, not a shaky piece, a lasting piece, and not even that in structure. The question that everyone should be asking right now, in my opinion, is who has a vision? Not, we're, we're building Legos, right? And you hit the Lego and all of them fall down. That's one thing. I'm talking about who has a vision for peace? Whose goal is peace? Forget about how the peace comes about. Forget about the two-state solution, one-state solution. Like, all of that stuff is achievable. If there, if peace is the goal, if peace is the vision, if peace is the intended uh, destination by someone, and you can't really name me right now, you can't name me, to me, five people that are in prominent positions around the world, that that is their goal. Their goal is peace. Their goal is the safety of Palestinian people. Their goal is the safety and the power of Palestinian people. Their goal is the safety of Jewish people. People want to win. And if you want to win, peace is probably not going to be achievable. So as things have calmed down and as people are asking questions um, of Joe Biden, of uh, people in uh, in the UN of people in the Arab League, as people are asking all all of these questions about the differing factions that uh, that uh, have a voice in this, just ask yourself whose vision is peace, whose vision is safety, whose vision is self determination, whose vision is dignity, who is actually working for that, and when you ask yourself that question, you'll see that there are Palestinians working towards that. 
that there are Jewish people that are working f- towards that, that there are people all over the world that are working towards that, but none of them have the requisite power that they need to make it a reality. Mm. And the question is, how do you get there? Um, I don't know. I wish I had the answer for you. I do want to say one thing that you said, because I don't want to give Hamas anything, and I'm not saying that you were, but when you were talking about um, what the Israeli government is doing over in the Gaza Strip, and you said maybe maybe they thought that it would, you know, if they did a certain, I'm paraphrasing what you said, but you talked about like maybe if they did this, then that would would make Hamas release one or release the hostages or be more willing to negotiate. You were like, I don't know, maybe that's what the Israeli government was thinking. I'm paraphrasing what you said there. I just want to be clear that if Hamas is doing the things that the Israeli government is accusing them, such as, you know, having um, headquarters under hospitals or places where civilians are, then they don't give a fuck about their citizens or their civilians. Well, that's true. But what I meant is perhaps their thought, the the Israeli government. Israeli government. But yeah, if they but believe it was Hamas, not necessarily they, Hamas. They constantly say Hamas does not care about people, which I will agree. Like they don't, they don't care what happens to these civilians in the way that like the world is caring about it. So if that's the case, then they're not like whatever is Israel's doing to these civilians, they don't really care. That's not going to make them release the hostages. So if that's what they uh-huh. were thinking now. Yeah. Uh, uh, we just want to note here that. NBA star Josh Giddy is under investigation for being with an underage girl. Um, it was all over Twitter. Y'all can't take anything seriously. Uh, it was all over Twitter this weekend. He had, just, Twitter was just, the jokes were just flying over this situation. Josh Giddy is a, a 21-year-old basketball star. The, the Thunder are really coming up in the world. Um, he's from Australia. And he has been connected to uh, allegedly connected. Well, he's been connected, definitely. The allegations are that this girl is underage, and there have been videos and all different types of things all over the Twitter sphere. Just kidding, he had to discuss these allegations. There'll be more about this story as it drops, as it comes out. Um, a lot of people are saying, "Hey, age of consent is different places." You know, he's from Australia; they're in Oklahoma City. Uh, but the NBA is investigating Josh Giddy's relationship with what some people say is an underage girl. And it looks fucking bad. Well, first it was being reported that she was 15. Then it was being reported that she's 16. The legal age of consent in Oklahoma is 16. And there doesn't have, like, it doesn't have to, it's the fact that he's 21. She's still, if, if, if it was consensual, then it was okay, whether we like it or not, or how it looks. If she's really 16, it's fine. And then I looked up Australia because I'm like, maybe I wonder if he's going to say in Australia, it's different. Most of what I saw, and I didn't look up every city in Australia, but majority of what I saw in Australia is at the legal age as well as 16. So I guess the question is this. I'm not saying I like it. That's the law. So then 16 and 21, Basically, Rachel Lindsay is saying it's a go. Well, the law says it's a go. I said it doesn't matter what your opinion is. The law says it's okay if it's consensual. So you'd feel better yeah. if he was 18, 19? Josh Giddy? Mm-hmm. 
Well, I think there are a couple of things. Of course, I would feel better if he was 18 and 19 because, you know, you have the whole senior freshman thing. And they've used that, by the way, in the past to lock up young black men. Like Gennaro Wilson are some in Georgia. If there's like a yeah. three or two year difference or something like that, then it's okay. <clears throat> yeah. Some places. I think there are a couple of things here that make it like, really, nigga? There are a couple of <laughs> things that make it that. Like, okay. Even if the age of consent and everything was okay, there are a couple of things. Number one, the difference in life experience, right? NBA player to high school girl in and of itself to me exacerbates the number of years between them. Like if it's senior freshman or whatever, and by the way, we're changing on this stuff, guys. Back in the day, Brad Pitt brought, brought fucking Juliet Lewis to an award show. Like people did this, like people. How old was she? She was young. <laughs> she was young. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, she was young. You know what I mean? Like she was, she was uh, on the younger side. Um, so things are changing, but like to me, it's like number one, uh, Josh Giddy, twenty-one year old NBA player. He can really date anyone who he wants. He's a good-looking kid. It just, I don't know. It, it's kind of a, it's, it's a thing. You wonder why. And number two, the fact that their lifestyles are so different exacerbates. I mean, obviously no one would care if it was 21, 26. No one would care if it was 30, 25. No one would care. But there's a threshold of innocence that I think sometimes people try to protect. And when you're 16, you haven't yet hit the threshold. Even if she was 17, 15 is fucking out. I don't give a fuck. That's actually breaking the law. But even if she was 17 or 18, it's different. But I'm like, why, bro? Like, why are you doing the 16 thing? You know, like, like what the fuck? You know, like, what the hell? But we'll see what happens. We don't know. We don't know what's we going on. We don't know. If, if, in fact, I mean, I'll tell you one thing, and this is the way things are. Josh Giddy's got a fucking scarlet letter on him for the rest of his fucking career. But it's it's like it'll always be wherever he goes now. These are the chances that he's going to hear. This is the stuff that's going to go on. I think the question really is, as a society, like what's appropriate? If you had a little sister and she was 16 and she was dating a 21-year-old guy, would you be okay with that even if it was legal? Does he play professional sports? He does. I'm just kidding. <laughs> 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 I was about to say, Rachel's going crazy today. <laughs> I'm like, is he a Dallas Cowboy? No, I was just kidding. I would, no, like, I would be all up in my sister um, shutting that down. But, okay, that came out Jesus wrong. <laughs> I would be all, I would be shutting it down, is my point. No, I would not want my 16 year old sister to, like, I would be on his ass too, though. Yeah, and also just be real. Josh Giddy's size makes this a whole deal too. <laughs> it's true. Like, man, no, no. And like, I, it, it does. I mean, that's a part of this. This he's a fucking giant. <laughs> he's like six foot eight. Donnie, am I wrong about this? Josh Giddy's size. <laughs> if this was Timothy Chalamet, it would look weird, but it would be different. The sheer size of Josh Giddy, when you see them in 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 pictures, make makes him look older and her look younger. John, Don, am I wrong? Yeah, it just adds, it visually adds to the weirdness he of the whole like situation. He looks like a baby, though. He looks, he has a childlike face. Yeah, face. You're right. 
in the face, but he's got tall man face, which means <laughs> that he looks like a kid, but his his bones still got to be a certain way. He got a hell of a jaw, hell of a chin. I mean, Josh Giddy in trouble. The Thunder still played him, though. The Thunder yeah, played they him. Did. They, they, they put did. him out there after yeah, practice. Out there. Yeah. Yeah. Why? Because he's doing well. If he was doing bad, he would be on the bench. A lot of people say that it's unfair that Josh Giddy has gotten what they think is support from the NFL, whereas John Morant was the NBA. excoriated. Excuse me, yeah, the NBA, where which is whereas John Morant was excoriated by the league uh, when he got in trouble and when he when videos of him started to surface and stuff. Do you see any corollary there? I mean, John Morant got a few chances, so. Let's not act like the first times he did something, they were like, you're suspended for 25 games. That's not what happened to him. Um, and this girl's were being reported to be 16. So whether you like it or not, it sounds like everything at the moment was legal. So. If it is legal, um, then he beats the allegations. Yeah. People are still going to look at him a certain way because it's like, oh, you messing with a 16-year-old? You're a 21 NBA player. You could have anybody that you wanted and you want a 16-year-old. It Gross. looks like it, it looks like it's a... But once again, no. If this is a cultural thing where he's from... So. Well, you say it's the age of consent is 16 in Australia. Well, it is in Oklahoma. And people are still on his ass here. They should be. Nah, man, I'm not fucking with it. All right, last thing about the young children here. I want Ashley on this. Ashley, you're uh you're a Gen Zer again, right? Um Zillennial. Zillennial? <laughs> Zillennial. <laughs> All right. Coleman Domingo, the star of Rustin, basically came out and said, You little niggas need to stop complaining. <laughs> so there have been some reports about how things were on the set of Euphoria. Multiple complaints made to SAG after, uh, which, by the way, that deal needs to get ratified. It's not going swimmingly here. <laughs> might fuck really? Up. Yeah, they might they might might get fucked up here. Um, <laughs> multiple complaints made to SAG after over the production failing to provide them meals on time and refusing to let people use the bathroom, among other issues. Uh, Coleman Domingo, is you defending you for it? Coleman Domingo is a fucking genius. He said, I'm not going to invalidate anyone's experience, but working in television is long hours. Sometimes you work up to 14 hours a day. And then you have to go home and prep. And then you have to really live and work in a very methodical way. A lot of young actors may not be up for the task or have that same work ethic. I've been in this business for 32 years, he continued. I know what hard work is. So when I heard those reports, I thought, where's this coming from? That's just a normal work day. Be a professional. Ooh. Oh, shit. <laughs> Rustin getting in that oss. Uh, so, we've talked about on the podcast sometimes how it's possible that the kids who are going to change the world, and I really believe that they will, still have a little growing up to do as it relates to what it means to work in America. Or, are they right about how America should treat its workers and us old niggas are resisting? Which one is it? Are you asking me or Ashley? 
I'm asking both of you guys. I mean, it should be noted that these complaints allegedly came, they didn't come from the main cast, right? They came from that. I just want to say that not that it necessarily makes a difference. Maybe it does, but it came from um, the background workers. And it was reported that, stop, man, bucking your eyes at me. And it was reported that there was actually no formal complaint made to SAG. Just want to say that too. Um, we, Ashley, this is where you would step in, you know, speak, speaking from your generation, but I think the same, the things we compliment this generation, next generation about what they're not, they're not willing to accept the status quo. They're willing to fight for things in a way that maybe the prior generation just accepted because that's what we were told or taught to do. And that's a beautiful thing. And at the same time, it could be a double-edged sword. So if we're going to applaud this generation for standing up against the way things have always been done, then shouldn't that also apply to a 14-hour workday on set? I mean, you've been on set. I've been on set. I do understand why they're 14-hour workdays when you have a deadline and people want to cut costs. And, you know, there's more pressure than ever to produce, produce, to produce and roll it out in a quick way because there's an insatiable appetite when it comes to content that the viewers want, want. So I understand it, but if they're going to be fighting for one thing, then I think that that's going to be applied with everything. So I'm not shocked that this is what they're doing. And I don't think that we can cherry pick what we like and what we don't like. This is just what this generation does. Uh, Ashley, what do you think? What do you think as represent the Zillennials here, represent the TikTok generation? <laughs> um. I don't know. I feel as though that, yeah, technically we do complain a lot. That's what I, I feel like I connected to a lot of people through complaining about things <laughs> and wanting change. Like that's like something that I've personally done. I don't know if it's a generational thing or it's something that I've learned from, you know, people who've been around me. But I don't know. I feel like I think it's totally fine for them to come out and talk about their experiences especially if they've had a bad experience I feel like a lot of people um I hate to say older people want younger people to experience the the trauma that they've experienced mm. only because they've gotten out of it and so they're like I was able to overcome this trauma so you should go through it but I feel like if they're younger generation they shouldn't have to go through that trauma if it can be a better experience for people then why isn't it why can't they talk about it and make it a better experience? Very well said, Ashley. This is what I'll say. <laughs> Understand this. To all of my millennials, all of my young people out there, change the world. Change it. But even that's going to take 14 hours on some days. <laughs> Sometimes you're going to be on set for a long time, man. Sometimes you're going to live in the shitty house. Sometimes you're going to be broke. Sometimes it's going to be hard. Sometimes it's going to be fucked up. I don't have a problem with wanting things to be better. 
I have a problem with expecting things to be perfect. To my millennials, my kids out there, I love the vision. I love the fight. I love all of it. But there does seem to be, in my opinion, an aversion to tribulation that is troubling. (laughs) An aversion to overcoming that is troubling. And there's this fallback to how everyone told you it was going to be. They told us to do this and then it didn't work. They told us to do this and then it didn't work. They told us this would be there for us and it happened. Didn't happen. They told us this wouldn't be there for us and it didn't happen. That's how life is, man. They tell you that this is going to work and then it doesn't work and then you got to go do some different shit. They tell you you was going to be here for this long and then you got to be here that long and then you got to stay and see it through. Remember I was at TMZ? Donald Sterling's story broke. I had plans that weekend to go do something. They looked at us and they told us, hey, I got to let y'all know we got to work Saturday. (laughs) We got to work Saturday. I'm like, fuck! (laughs) But I took my ass in there and I worked on the Saturday. Sometimes you got to work Saturday. Sometimes you got to work till eight. Now, I hope that you guys can create a world where we get to work four days a week for six hours a day from home, food provided with nap breaks and aura rings and foot massages, free haircuts, transportation, universal basic income, single-payer health care, all of it. I'm with you guys. But you're going to have to work 18 hours to get it. And then by the time you get there, you're going to want somebody else to work 18 hours for what you did for them. Welcome to the world. But I'm with y'all. And I hope y'all get it done quick (laughs) enough that I can take advantage. Okay. (laughs) Uh, Here's the thing about, here's the thing that is unequivocally true. Their version of the world is better. That's one thing you of can't course. take away. Their version of the world is better. It's Th- also not realistic. Maybe it is, but we got to see. Their version of the world is better. They got to get rid of us first. They got to usher in all. Got to get rid of boomers. Got to get rid of Chin X. Because <laughs> we, well, we don't want to. Admit sometimes as millennials is that we're infected with boomer disease. We might we're not boomers, but the boomer thought process is a disease. We're a, we're infected with boomer disease. I still every time somebody asks me to do something, <laughs> every time there's an opportunity to do something, I say yes. Hey Van, come here. Yep, I'll do it. Hey Van, go here. Yep, I'll do it. Hey Van, do this many. Yep, I'll do it. Yep, I'll do it. Yep, I'll do it. I think if I do enough stuff eventually I will have peace. And I know intellectually that's a lie, right? I know intellectually that that's not true. Intellectually, I've seen people try it and it's failed, but they were so good at convincing me that if I do enough stuff, I'll end up having peace that I'm still trying to do enough stuff. 
Let me tell you something. There's so much power in that first no. Once you get to that first no, and then peace is after that. No. Yeah. No. Sometimes, sometimes you say no, and then somebody else does it, and you go, fuck. No, no. That's just our industry. The, right. the, the fear of, no, no, no. Now, I ain't talking about work. <laughs> you ask me to do something for work, I'll say right. yes. Because right. somebody smarter, you know, funnier, ta- wittier, talented, prettier is going to take your spot. That's that's the pressure. That's the pressure. No. Okay, yeah. You sent a group, you sent a text to the group uh, reminding me to have you bring up or explain what is High Plains Drifter. Uh, when I thought of it, I thought of this Clint Eastwood movie, but I'm assuming right. that's not what you're talking about. Okay, never heard of that. Okay. I know what a drifter is. What's a drifter? What's a drifter to you, Rachel? A person who wanders from place to place. A drifter, right? Let me tell you about something that I learned about. It's Friday night. I learned about it thanks to my beautiful mamo, Geraldine Ellis. Mamo. She's talking to my sister. And my sister is, you know, Ebony, Ebony Lathan's very beautiful, very talented, smart. And Ebony keeps coming at Momo about something. And Momo looks at Ebony and she says, you know what? You're not a high plains drifter. So I wouldn't expect you to be able to get that. Oh. <laughs> That's so real. You guys, I want to explain something to you guys, something I've learned this weekend. There are different planes of thinking, planes of elevation, planes of existence. Top of them is the high planes. That's what the high planes drifters are, like Mama Mo, other people, the wise people of your family, the ones that have drifted in a certain plane. Then there's a plane where most of us are, we're trying. We're trying to understand spiritually. We're trying to understand socially. We're trying to understand energetically. But we're just mid-planes. Rachel, you're a solid mid-planer. Oh, I'm mid. Thank you. What are you? Mid-plane. Solid mid-planer. Here. Solid mid-planer. And then there are the low-plane drifters. Oh, there's another like level. My, <laughs> like my sister, Ebony. Don't you do Ebony like that. (laughs) People, (laughs) let me tell you why. Ebony has all the makings of a high plains drifter. She has the talent to be a high plains drifter. She has the understanding. She has the spirit to be a high plains drifter. But she rejects, rejects the concept of the high, mid, and low plains. I want all of the soulless jackals out there and all of the fans of higher learning to aspire to be high plains drifters. To aspire to be loving, wise, spiritual, and engaged. That's what it's about. Mama Mo has come up with the term to describe what we want to be. And from now on, when you guys submit mailbags, <laughs> if there is a good question, you'll be considered from a Mo's High Plains Drifter designation. And some of you 
will be considered for Ebony Latham's <laughs> Stop doing your Lone Plains Drifter. <laughs> Did you call her that to her face after? We'll call her that in a second. Call it. I'm going to see you in a second. I'm going to go over there. Yo, hey man, you a Low Plains Drifter. You got to have Ebony on the pod. She got to High Plains Drifters is what we want to be. Momo, I love you. Thank you for introducing this to me. Now, everything that I do, I think of in terms of whether or not I'm drifting at a high plane, a mid plane, or a low plane. Rachel, you have more potential to be a high plane drifter up here. Yep. Than anybody. Why? Because, man, you got all the makings of I, a high plane drifter. Why? <laughs> you do. I'm serious. You got, okay, a couple of things. Smart, right? Really, really aggressive. Super aggressive. Um, yeah, for sure. A stereotype. What's the stereotype that Rachel Lindsay is aggressive, or you're aggressive, or you're doing a black angry man? black angry black female? Go ahead, oh, keep going. I mean, that's who we are. Uh, <laughs> number three, a lot of different. This is the most drifter thing about you. Okay, this okay. is the most drifty thing about you. A lot of different experiences. You can't peg Rach. Rach is everywhere. Rach is at Fuel City. Rach is at the <laughs> ranch. Rach is hanging out with this person. Rach is hanging out with this person. You drift. You're already on a higher plane. I'm a social all, drifter. But but like but in order to do that, think of how many energies you have to harness. Think about how many different people you have to relate to in order to move throughout those levels. That is the DNA of a drifter. That's, That's really nice. A, I thought a, a head joke was drifter. coming in. I thought a head joke was coming in. That's actually really nice. You know Thank what that you. is? That's your lower planes pulling on. <laughs> That's your lower planes trying to bring it's you so back true. down. But it's see, so it is. True. That's what happens. I, right now, it's not about jokes. It, right now, what it's about is us connecting and seeing each other, okay, energetically, spiritually, emotionally, for what it is that we are. I see you, Rachel, Avatar, Avatar We two. see each other. We see each other. Kalika, the house, high plane quote. Yeah, we see, oh, Nigerian on Nigerian each. beef. <laughs> Nigerian oh, Nigerian oh, beef. Are you caught up? Oh, not, oh, I watched the episode. Okay. I love okay. We got to do a, high, a, a Housewives catch, catch up right now. We'll, we do, how, we'll, do, we'll do it fucking, when we do our podcast swap. How fucking Bravo is pitting Africans against each other. Yeah, actually a lot of people are upset about this. I, I've seen the social media fodder about this. I'm a telling you. Upset. Andy Cohen. That brings you down, bro. You can't be a colonizer Andy Cohen is being a colonizer. This is what I I'll like say Andy Cohen. Andy Cohen, happened. like pitting Africans against each other on is, TV is really, really, really odd. This is what I'll say that they they did. I'm, I'm gonna use pull from my Bachelor experience. When I was on The Bachelor, there was a guy who did not date black women, and I knew that before they came and told me that, and they were fascinated by it oh my gosh, he's never dated a black woman in his life. And I said, this is not new. And then they were like, well, how did you know that? And I said, we just know. I don't know. I, don't, I can't explain it to you. We just know. They wanted me to take him on a date because they wanted to explore this because they had never seen this before on their show. Obviously, mm. they also never had a black lead. So they were very interested by it, intrigued by it. I thought this would be an amazing storyline, not realizing the trauma behind 
black men not wanting to date women who look like them. Mm-hmm. And they wanted to exploit that. I have a feeling that's what happened with the, with the Nigerian wars that's going on. They were like, oh, we didn't know this existed. We didn't know that there was this tribe versus this tribe and then this whole other thing that no one wants to be affiliated with. And they thought it would be a great storyline. I'm not defending it. I could just see that this is what happened, not realizing how problematic that is. This is almost a mini topic on the show. Look, it's it's funny to like have ladies go against each other, you know, on a show or people go against each other on a reality show. But in a serious way, in a real way, I would caution Bravo or any entity that's made up of a bunch of American white people. We already see them using black people and it's fodder, putting them against each other. But there's something very familiar and disturbing about watching two ladies that come from different tribes in Nigeria being pitted against each other for the economic gain of a white entity. I mean, we see this a lot, don't get me wrong, but because of how on the nose it is, this is probably some kind of fucked up thing that I have, because of how on the nose it is, it's hard to look at it as entertainment. It looks like the thing that has always been done, and they should really think about this before they continue on with this storyline. Because it's off-putting. It's also the job of the castmates to recognize it and to call it out. But you know what? We can have this reasonably shady conversation on Giselle and Robin's reasonably shady podcast. I cannot wait for it. I can tell you one thing. I want to tell you guys who I think the High Plains Drifters are on, uh, on the podcast. And I'll give my, I'll start giving a list every month of who the high place drifters are for the month are. Put that are, hand down. Put the this, hand this, down. Okay, Ebony, if you can hear me right now, <laughs> I believe in you that you can get to the right plane. Mama Mo, who coined this, is the Geraldine Ellis Award for High Plains Drifters. The Geraldine like Ellis it. Circle. The Ellis Circle I like of it. High Plains Drifters. I love it. All right, we out. Take the caps off. Do not stop learning. I'm Van Lathan Jr. I'm Rachel and Lindsay. Bye, guys.